We can't avoid the suck. I guess this is another way of putting it. There's suck all around us. And preparing ourselves mentally and physically for the suck is not helpful. And now this, my people might go, what the hell are you talking about, Chris? All we do in training is is preparing ourselves for the difficulty of race day. I'm talking about the suck, discomfort, doing hard things. That we need to go into with an open mind, without judgment, without opinion, without preconceived notions, without bracing, and instead just doing. Let it happen. And then let bubble up what you feel, how it was. Usually when late January hits, we've settled into our element. The rush of the holidays has passed, the winter storms are stacking up, and we've turned our vision to the horizon of a new year. New possibilities, new adventures. While snow totals and rainy weather forecasts are part of our narrative, trips and imagined epic adventures become woven into the topic of our daily conversation. This year, as we push into February, things feel vaguely the same, but also different. We're fueled by an optimism for what awaits on the horizon, but also energized by a deeper appreciation of what sits closer to home. The morning lineup, our secret line down a hill, our breath hanging in the cold morning air as we run, embracing our community again from both near and far. Most winters, we focus either on the past or the future, what was or what awaits, but this season is one where we all collectively feel the true power of the here and now, yet potential lies sitting out there, thick in the air. An offset of these strange two years has been our ability to embrace change, to see things differently, and to approach new horizons in a way we'd never envisioned before. Flexibility has become the new watchword, not just for our community, but for the way we approach the outdoors. We've all adapted in strange and unexpected ways. No doubt, it's been a wild ride, but it's unlocked our thinking, crystallized our visions, and led us all to dream about doing our thing differently. As the height of the endurance adventure planning season hits, whether venturing out or staying local, we're looking to harness those visions and head out to embrace the wild side. It's time to prepare and get after it, now more than ever. Hi everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, and this is episode 174. Actually, soon to be the Endurance and Pursuit of Potential podcast. What do you think? EPP, Endurance and the Pursuit of Potential. I feel it is time to move on from the weekly word. Why? Well, the weekly word used to be a newsletter I sent out revolving around things I trained and did in order to reach peak performance as an Ironman triathlete and coach. But this podcast has become so much more. We talk mindset, training, nutrition, strategy, lifestyle, integration, strength, and so much more. 
This has grown to so much more than just about me. Today, my coaching is focused on advancing the integration of mindset with performance. So I utilize ultra-endurance training and experience to stimulate the mental game as a gateway to achieving mental, emotional, and spiritual fitness, the cornerstones of resilience. It is about helping endurance athletes, professionals, military operators, executive teams, and so many more maximize performance despite busy schedules and life priorities. But this does not mean primarily elite athletes. In most cases, the athletes I work with went pro in something other than the sports and adventures they endeavor. I coach based on the principle that skilled coaching involves unlocking people's potential to maximize their own performance. I'm trying to master both parts of this process, not only imparting knowledge as best I can, but also helping you discover it in yourself. Human development played out in the endurance arena. So let's dive into it. Endurance and the pursuit of potential. Seriously, please let me know what you think of that title. Today, we definitely go long. Well, not crazy long, but we go deep for sure. We will focus primarily on mindset. Now, there will always be training tips within that, built within that. But today, we talk about how mindset affects our ability to compete, what we're thinking of, how to rationalize out of it, and we dive into insights that only come from walking the path, and we'll dive deeper into what the path means, but keeping in mind that if we're standing still, if we're not failing forward slash what I call falling forward, that next step can't happen. And if that next step can't happen, then the path can't unfold for us. We stay in the fog. We stay in the trees and can't get a good perspective of the horizon and where we're heading. So we definitely take a big bite of this podcast and go deep into mindset and how we want to keep in mind our training with regards to our potential, with regards to where we're heading and trusting the process. I know a buzzword these days, being on the journey, the growth and the the education that we're getting with the path and with the journey and how we've actually come pretty far. Of course, there are always some good tips built in here. And as I said, it revolves around the training tips and questions that come up. How does this apply to our training? I really hope you enjoy this podcast. Please let me know what you think, even if you think it's terrible or if it's a waste of your time. This constructive feedback is something I really need in order to guide David and I into a space that we're also addressing what you're looking for combined with on how we're using ultra endurance training and experience to stimulate the mental game on achieving mental and emotional and spiritual fitness. What I said earlier are the cornerstones of resilience. Enjoy. It would behoove us potentially to do a warm up of some sort. Oh no, I'm warmed up. Oh, I'm glad you're warmed up. Okay. It's been a day of really good, deep conversations. I met with an athlete in person earlier this morning um, and hearing from them just 
how the training and the mindset integration really is working and how the mindset is impacting performance and overall performance of who they are as a human all day long has been um, powerful and uh, a validation of inspiration back to me. And uh, knowing I'm in a sweet spot of what I want to do and who I want to be and showing up as a coach and as a human to not only my athletes, but to my surroundings has been um, powerful. And just getting off the phone with another client with a very similar deep conversation. And part of that is the mutual agreement many of us have many of us being us being my athletes and I, because part of that initial introduction email has a requirement of vulnerability on it. And if you want to have the outcomes and the growth and the potential, the pursuit of potential um, that you are capable of along this journey in this process, then vulnerability is a key if not primary ingredient. And so that becomes uh, part of the athletes that have the most, not success, because success means something different, but feel most happy and fulfilled with the training and the path, the journey that they're on. So, that's how the day has begun, and, and it ties into the things we want to talk about today. Now, different today is that you don't know the topics, but I think you can sense already where the mm -hmm. topics will go. And it's I want this uh, more visceral um, exchange with you to be part of a deeper episode um, that I can get that response and that um, feedback from you as it's unfolding to how it's making you feel and what your initial thoughts and responses are. And why I think that's valuable is that you know me better now. Um, it's been almost two years of working together and you, my thought patterns and what angle I'm coming from you have a, a better pattern recognition on, mm -hmm. um, but I'm not sure yet that you understand the source. And uh, none of us can really understand the other person's source that well, but your responses and the way you hear things uh, will not be blocked or don't need to go through a filter as much because you already know me to a certain level so that those filters can fade away and you can just truly think or feel mm. or respond. Does that we'll make find sense? Out. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I mean, I agree. <laughs> we'll find out by putting a lot of pressure on you. Um, but no, it's, um, <clears throat> it's an, it, it's, it's sort of what I, I like to dive into. Um, response versus uh, reaction. So, I mean, there's a couple of things I want to dive into, but one thing that keeps coming up um, 
on a variety of emails, but um, one specifically from one of our athletes, as well as another athlete of me that sent me an email. It's about the fourth leg of a stool, of the stool. And so I say we start there. So many of us on the who are familiar with the podcast and me know about the three-legged stool and how we're not trying to live in balance with it, but we live on a foundation of those three legs and they're connected by the platform of the stool that we sit on, that our values and principles sit upon and how we act out our daily lives, act out being act in the form of action and being and becoming. And those three legs are, you know, professional, work, career, you know, in some cases, even still education. Um, The other one is personal, family, loved ones, um, social, right? Um, Friends, things like that. And then the third leg of the stool is self-care, the training, the personal growth, and so forth. And applying our time into those buckets is what I urge my athletes to do, um, to make sure that the things fit into those neatly. And we need to define those quite clearly to ensure that the time we're spending fits into those uh, buckets, those three legs of the stool, as well as what we give attention and priority to. And the misnomer of thinking that those will be balanced, i.e. that the legs of the stool will be the same length, is unrealistic. And we all know life gets in the way. And sometimes the training leg of the stool, the self-care, the personal growth gets shorter because the work one requires more attention. The flashlight shines upon it. I wouldn't even say flashlight. That's too specific. The <laughs> the, 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 the the huge headlamp show, shines on it. And then other times, family requires more. We never want to shorten the family, personal, <laughs> loved ones, one too much. That gets us into trouble. And in general, if two legs of the stool are dramatically longer than one leg, well, then you can't sit on that stool. Um, that's not a question of balance. That's just called, it's not a stool anymore. It's a two-legged <laughs> triangle that falls over. So therefore, they need to maintain their integrity, their priority in your day. And so that's how we fill those buckets um, of our time. Now, I've gotten, quest- I've gotten questions lately about, well, how do I add a fourth leg? Well, one, that's a chair. So then we're doing a variety of other things with that. But um, the fourth leg is is an interesting um, challenge because in order to add a fourth leg, uh, we're taking time away from the three other ones. And some may say, well, I've created space and capacity and I've organized myself and I feel like I'm in pretty good control of those three legs, and I'm ready to add a fourth leg. And I'm not saying you can't, but this is the difference. I would call that a bucket of priority, not fully a leg. And four, five, maybe six buckets is reality. 
Anything more than that is you haven't narrowed down the scope and the parameters of those buckets well enough and what's important to you so that you have too many buckets and can rationalize, justify your time into another bucket. And the challenge with a fourth leg of the stool would be, what are you willing to take away from, which I hope none of the other three legs, in times of stress, crisis, um, overwhelm, unusual projects, unusual demands of family. And so something will be compromised. And then that fourth leg is not of use anymore anyway. To think we go through a life where those three legs will remain in control, I hope anybody listening right now will laugh at that because we all know it doesn't work like that. Um, I'll pause there. And we haven't named what this fourth bucket um, tangential to the three legs is. Is that deliberate? It could be anything. It could be something that's important to that person that they want to separate it out as a fourth leg. Right? Um, Mm -hmm. Now, the good question there would be, what are some of the examples Well, that could be another endeavor slash adventure and maybe not in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm, right? Um, Becoming a meditation and, you know, uh, master, I don't know, something like that or improve. I'm going to go on a spiritual quest this year whilst still being an athlete, a family member and, you know, attending to my professional and career needs. Um, I would like to, you know, I don't know, give me some thoughts that you would have what that could be. Continuing education, a a, a passion project uh, related to some kind of charity, which, you know, you could argue is professional, but it might not generate money. It might even consume funds. Great, great example right there. Great example. Uh, disappearing on sabbatical for a little while. But that replaces the professional. So at at first, before you said that, I actually contemplated, well, if you're thinking fourth leg of a stool, that's a different animal, i.e. chair. And two, you haven't clarified your three stools um, and placed parameters around them clear enough to fit that Mm -hmm. fourth leg into whether that's another personal growth development aspect, personal care, self-care, growth, leg. Um, And then training will have to take a backseat, which is totally fine. I mean, this isn't about training. This is about who do I want to be and how do I prioritize my time? What's essential? What's essential? Right, And I keep quoting that book by Greg McHugh Essentialism because it really captures less but better. How am I spending my time? And in a conversation I had this morning that kept coming back to this athlete's growth and what they see clearly now is space. Space is good. Time and space is good. It allows us to think deeper. It allows us to reflect 
It allows us to ask questions. And in the space is where we grow because we have time to work through unanswered questions. When we are constantly just responding to the day's events and lacking space, there is not the time to grow and sit with what it is that is bothering us, triggering us, holding us back, creating a narrative, a negative narrative, all those things. And so space is important. So again, back to this fourth leg, it's fourth leg of the stool comment or question, I would urge to say, <laughs> create, keep the space and use the space wisely. And space is critical for so many of these uh, decisions and actions we take on a daily basis because it allows us to be present and, again, allows us to work with our thoughts, work with our emotions, uh, work intentionally. Um, if we're just living our days um, reacting, what I call solving the moment, not solving the problem, then we are missing space and we can't grow the way we'd like to. Mm -hmm. And again, space is also our training time. Training time allows us the time and space to sit with our day, check in with our day, reflect on our day, look ahead at our day, depends on what time of day you train and how often you train. If you train twice a day on some days, it's a great double check-in. How was I today? How has it been going? Have I been following through on my intentions, on my uh, who I want to be notes for the day? Or if it's in the morning, who do I want to be today? How will I show up? That space is necessary. And mindlessly, unintentionally going through too much of our day, or even the training, quite honestly, is wasted time. We're going through the motions, we're checking the box, we're getting a green box on the on training peaks, but that's not training, that's exercising. And to follow that path of green is not necessarily a successful one. And I chose success specifically because that's outcome related. Achieving success is achieving a goal, is receiving the outcome. Happiness and fulfillment can't be found in that process anyways. But uh, when we're beholden to checking the box, and that making us feel good about our day, it's shallow. So then we have an example of an athlete. Um, based on what Chris said, those goals reflect the person I want to become. They are my North Star. I want the three-legged stool to be balanced and integrated. Well, important there, the correction there, is that striving for balance is unrealistic striving for attention to the three-legged stool, striving for integration for sure, uh, 
um, because the platform that holds the stool together is the whole is a circle. As you imagine a three-legged stool, the sitting platform is a circle that integrates them all, um, makes us complete and closes the circle of the three things that we value. But important there is balanced is not reality. Balanced is a striving that we can't get to, and that's trying to find perfection versus progression. I want to continue my growth as a husband, father, and professional. To be honest, I don't know exactly what the future looks like. I don't know what the future jobs positions I will have. I don't know yet exactly what athlete I will become. I have a lot of unknowns, but I feel by working on those goals, when December 22 comes, I can be a better version of myself. Now, I just recently had a conversation similar to this with an athlete, and this is not about having a clear path at all times. Once again, unrealistic. And there'll be many times where your future is foggy, unclear. And the only thing we can do is walk the path, the deliberate path that presents itself in front of us. The bricks of the path come together as we take the intentional trusting the process step forward into the unknown. And when that happens, the path will appear because only by taking the steps do the bricks come together. The path remains unclear if we are standing still. And so I would urge this athlete to not overthink that, but instead attend to the legs of the stool to the best that I can with intention, with my values and principles aligned to who I want to be as a person, not as an athlete, not as a professional, not as a husband slash father, but of the whole. Remember the top of the stool is where the values and principles all come together and hold it all together. And allow for there be, to be times that clarity of what the path will offer is not going to be there. That's fine. Exhale. There's other things we can work on. I really like the part about the standing still that you have to first take action before feedback will come to you. Yeah. I mean, because we're constantly creating into a new normal version of ourselves and building a new identity, we can't necessarily know what that identity that we're constantly building into is going to see. My identity, who I'm going to be in six months from now, with the insights and the knowledge and the perspectives and the failures and successes and the resilience and the grit that I've become will allow the lens of the world and that path to look different than if I hold on to a path too tightly now or claim that that path will serve me in six months from now or in 18 months from now. And that's why this exercise of who do I want to be and what does that look like and what 
daily actions can I take in order to validate them, uh, validate who I want to be? What daily actions can I take to show that I am on the path? Daily is today. It's not about tomorrow and where I'm heading. It's not about yesterday and where I was. We don't have an agreement or a reason to even hold on to that from yesterday. We are new today. And daily actions reaffirm who I want to be, our values and principles, and allows us to take that confident step forward onto the path, on that path. And as I wrote in the newsletter, tomorrow will present itself as it will. But for now, we have today and focus on today. It is a challenge enough today. So that is why these steps and these thought processes become so important. And why we said on our last Zoom call, win the day, win the morning. That's all we technically can do. Win today. And if we win today, that next step on the path will present itself differently, better, some say maybe even clearer, because that path, the way I see it, those bricks come together at different lengths. Some might appear further off into the horizon than just a couple of days ahead. And there's signs along that path, and there's inputs along those pa- that path, and there's environment along that path, and there's topography along that path, along that yellow brick road. And that yellow brick road, as it comes together for you, also gives us the signs as it should be. It happens as it should be. And this morning was just another example of working with athletes on how this endurance training is just merely a vehicle to going through these processes. And while meditation or different types of other ways to go through mindset work, whether it's visualization or it's um, therapy even, the beauty of endurance training as a vehicle is you're also living a healthy and fit lifestyle while you're going through these exercises, while you're going through these thoughts while you're creating space, space to think, space to be, space to grow, space, quite honestly, also not to think of anything or do nothing, to turn the brain off, to exhale, to just be. That's also an important part about space. And that's why this conversation keeps coming up on the podcast because our ability to use our endurance training time not merely as a physical um, approach, but also a spiritual mental approach is once again, such a unique opportunity. I had a different conversation with an athlete the other day about mirrors um, because part of his why and his ability to look at himself in in the mirror. And I said, you know, the mirror can only show you so much. And many mistakenly look at themselves in the mirror 
thinking that is the exercise. That is the daily exercise. But you only see the outside when you look in the mirror. You don't see what's on the inside. The work is not in the mirror. It's on the inside. It's nothing a mirror can show you. The mirror that you're looking to create is one into you. And training and the movements and the repetition of a four-hour bike ride, a five-hour bike ride, a three, four-hour run, heck, even a two-hour run, um, a long swim, although as you all know, I, I keep saying that, that swimming doesn't do that for me. Um, that allows the mirror to shine inwards um, on the inside of our eyeballs versus on the outside of our eyeballs. We're not looking out, we're looking in. We're not working out, we're working in. I have a scary point of feedback here. Go for it. Everything made sense. Um, the topography along the path was such a beautiful analogy, and that was the first time I think I've really understood um, what it's like to be on the quote-unquote journey, mm -hmm. the daily process of you know how to make that relatable. That's great, and you know then needing space makes total sense. And just I'm thirsty for that. Clearly, I've been denying myself that. Okay, so that that resonates, and I think a lot of people can probably resonate with that. Uh, and then we get into the mirror and this doesn't resonate. This does not make sense. Um, I, I can't attach it to anything in my emotional experience or intellectually. All right. We'll say that differently for the podcast with regards to elaborate more on the mirror. It doesn't make sense to me. Well, let's relate it, for example, to a journaling practice where, okay, so I sit down, I open up my journal and I'm writing down starting with great things that happened today, reframing the focus, so to speak, writing things I'm grateful for, again, just changing what I'm focusing on, um, breaking me out of minutia and onto a bigger perspective. Well, do you see, do you see any of those questions when you look in a mirror? None, none at all. Does looking in a mirror give you any insight on your emotions, on your thoughts, on your feelings, on what's happening inside you? Is the feedback from a mirror external or is it internal? <laughs> we might be speaking two different languages okay, here because the fine. first thing I think of if I'm actually, if I'm superficially staring at a mirror, like, okay, I put on some clothes, let's make sure my hair looks good. Cool. It's purely superficial. Okay. It means nothing. And then conversely, um, when someone says, look in the mirror, it feels like a, a, a naked process, a deeply vulnerable process of pausing and you're not going anywhere. You're not busy doing something. You're not distracted. And, and then all those baseline emotions that drive us, that drive me every day come up those, those feelings of inadequacy or those feelings of, I need to be doing something now. Those all just immediately start boiling under the surface, so to speak, and great rattling the lid of the kettle. Exactly. And that's exactly what comes up and should come up, but you just said it, it comes up. You don't see it in the mirror. The mirror is merely the trigger. Mm, okay. The mirror is mainly, mainly a way to start going inwards. It's the, um, the spark. And when we look in the mirror and those thoughts come up, are you still looking in the mirror or is you, are your eyes tuned out and now staring off into space? 
That's, that's right. You're not there anymore. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying with the mirror. And we, we want to reframe the way we think about looking at ourselves in the mirror. It's actually looking inwards. It's looking into our soul. And we don't see that in the mirror. Once we turn the eyes off and going by our other senses, which are internal, now we're starting the process. That's why I use that mirror analogy. It is only a vehicle merely a vehicle, just like endurance, to go inward. And so if you have that process on a daily basis, where you go look at your sticky notes on the mirror, or you look at yourself at the, in the mirror and ask a question of the person staring back at you in the mirror, that is all, merely a vehicle to start going inwards and tuning out and tuning in. That resonates. Even even the mechanism of putting sticky notes on the mirror. Oh, I have so I, effective. I have uh, many athletes on that. Um, you know, there's a variety of ways you can change your roles and activate who you want to be. I had part of the conversation this morning was maybe there's a sign you can put on the door as you leave your office, and when you see it and you go in. It activates who you want to be as the professional today, as the leader, as whatever it is you are, and how you want to do that in accordance to your values and principles to the best of your ability. And then as you leave, you turn that sign around, saying whether open or closed, similar, right, where you turn that sign around. And that has who you now want to be as a father, as a husband, as a family member, returning to your home life. And just that act on it, I'm going in as this person, I'm coming out to become this person. Easy trigger, easy spark to give yourself the thought process of who I want to be. The more times in a day I can think about who I want to be, the better. What does that take to remind ourselves of that? Same as the note cards. We, sp we speak a lot about the note cards on the Zoom call and with athletes, and I've talked about it here. The note cards eventually should drift off because you do the action in your head automatically in the morning and in the evening. In the evening, you check the boxes of the actions in the morning you wrote on the note card. Did I do them? Did I live them to my values and principles? How did I execute on that training session today? Did I show up intentionally? Did I understand why I was doing what I was doing? How that leads into my future event, future outcomes? And therefore, did I tie it back into an effective workout session in order to come out better than when I entered? As an example. <laughs> I'm writing down those exact prompts because those are, you know, the prompts are so powerful. Asking the right question is makes such a world of difference. Yes. Asking the right question, but also understanding who it is you want to be. And you might roll your eyes now going, all right, enough already with the who you want to be. But there's a depth in that that we touched on last time. And that is we're on our call, on our weekly call with each other. And that is 
who I want to be needs to be something that you're clear about, that when you get there, you are happy to be there. And that's part of this process too. Many times (laughs) we think we will be happy, fulfilled when we get there, when we achieve said outcome. But we haven't thought through what it is it will be like to be where we want to be and what that looks like and who we are and what that feels like. And is this truly where I want to be? It looks pretty cool in that forest. But once I got there, it was cold. It was dark. It was difficult. It was scary. It was vulnerable. Whereas on the postcard, it looked romantic. It looked like birds were flying around everywhere. The path looked so inviting and refreshing and welcoming. Oops. There's that saying. Before you climb the ladder, make sure that when you get to the top of the ladder, you're on the right wall. A nuance about this that I would have missed hearing all of what you just said if I wasn't dealing with this with athletes on an ongoing basis. Being very clear about whether you're talking about the process, the daily lifestyle, and whether you want to be there, asking this question, uh, do I really want to be doing this daily lifestyle, right? Because a lot of people ask the question, do I want to really cross that Ironman finish line? Do I really want to get that belt buckle for my 100-mile finish or whatever it might be? But I'm really focused on this idea that people do really want that. And they'll answer yes to that all day long, but they won't answer yes to, oh yeah, I absolutely do want to be doing hour and a half bike rides two days a week and then a four hour bike ride on the weekend. Like I absolutely do want to be living this immersive sacrifice based lifestyle of endurance. And I suppose you could apply that to anything process versus outcome. Do you want the process? Do you want the process? Yes. It, it, and that's what we've talked about frequently here is that when you sign up, when you hit enter, it looks really cool on the website. (laughs) And that's called marketing because they give you that one image of the 100K trail race that looks spectacular. You're like, that's where I want to be running. That looks amazing. That looks so fun. Just think how I'll feel and what that will be like. And ah, it's going to be beautiful. Then you get to the event and you realize that's a 30-second snapshot of what the next 12 hours won't be. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> how many of us miserable exactly. day of life How many of us have been in those situations? And I know many listeners can relate to this right now. It's like I signed up for X and X. It's like the previews of a movie. You basically just saw the four best minutes of the movie, and the rest of the movie sucks. Right, mm-hmm. and you're just like, oh, great! I just spent, you know, two hours, oftentimes two and a half hours of my life watching junk that I could have seen in a great trailer, or I did see in a great trailer. <laughs> I just saw it again. So that's very similar. So the training, while it might seem romantic, while it might seem invigorating, it is not necessarily that. There is the daily grind, right? There is a serious grind. I just wrote about this this morning. The game inside the game is the game. 
And there will come many times, and I'm reading from my article, that there will come many, many times when you will need to trick yourself into pressing on. Your mantra needn't be, I suck and forever shall, but one of the surefire ways to get discouraged is to think that training only happens when you're delighting yourself, when it feels good. You gotta find a way to grind. Yeah, I love the suck. Um, no, 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 I don't like that. Oh, oh. No, not love the suck. And um, you can goggins yourself all, I, all only for so long with embrace the suck and all that crap. This shit is this hard. This has got to be one of those where we understand the same thing, but are working yeah. differently, right? Yeah, this shit is hard, and it's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be uncomfortable. That's the entire reason why we're doing it. There's been plenty of commercials around the world that we've heard where it's like, because it's hard is why we're doing it. If everybody could do it, everybody would do it, but everybody isn't doing it because it's hard. It's difficult. There's thresholds to cross. Don't embrace the suck. Don't hug that shit. Excuse my language. Deal with it. Deal with it. That's what you actually signed up for. Words and actions need to align. And if your words embrace the suck and actions not really embracing hugging the suck don't align, you're in conflict. You're out of order, as Jordan Peterson would say. And that's a dark place because you can't fight your subconscious with your conscience. That doesn't work. So don't just embrace the suck. That's awful. I know, I'm being harsh, but it's true. It lasts three seconds. Embrace the suck lasts three seconds, and then you're in your head. I'm going to Wisconsin in uh, three weeks to jump in ice water in a frozen lake a bunch of times with a bunch of people. I'm part of a retreat that I'm working with. I know some people there, well-known people there, will say to me or say to the people there, I'm one of the coaches, so it's different, embrace the suck. Okay, good luck with that. When you climb in that water and your breath is gone or you jump in that water even worse, right? Because there's that response that you can't stop yourself from having. Let me see you embrace the suck. That lasts a second or two, and then you're in your head. Would it be fair to say a healthy respect for discomfort? No, or a healthy appreciation for discomfort? No, none of that? Oh, boy. Um, I don't know about healthy appreciation. I'm Again, I'm trying to find the appropriate words, and I appreciate you throwing more out there because it'll help us narrow it down. But discomfort is not something, cold showers don't feel natural. Swimming in aquatic park in 48 degrees is not natural. It sucks. It's awful. I don't avoid that devil. It's just part of it. And there is a truth to be found in doing that. Is it a non-judgment? Is that the thing? Like, okay, I'm going to go swim in this cold water now. And then it's just, there's no judgment about it. It isn't crazy. This isn't fun. This is just something I do. 
Mm, yeah, maybe. It, but there is something what you're describing there in that space, and that is just doing versus thinking too much. I think our pattern is, and maybe me too on this podcast and how I talk too much, <laughs> is that it doesn't all have to mean something. It can just be doing, right? Taking action, being in it. I just want us to reframe, I guess that's a good word to put it, reframe this popular cultural wording at the time, at this current time of embrace the suck. Does that maybe put a, a better wrapping around it? What you know? What I'm imagining is you seeing a bunch of CrossFit people standing around, being like, "Yeah, let's go one more," and you're like, "Shut up! Like, just lift the weight. Like, I know it's not going to feel good, but just do it. It's not a big deal." Partially, it, that's uh, that's maybe twenty percent of it. Um, but I also okay. think, yeah, no, no, it's partially, and I, I think again, it's helpful what you're trying to throw at me, but it is. Do hard shit. Get shit done. And talk to me on the other side of it. And the value and the insight and the growth and who you are on the other side of that difficulty, of that discomfort, let's begin there versus on the front side of it. Oh, that's, yes. Versus before you have done the task. And I guess that's what Embrace the Suck uh, captures in a, in, with the other, let's say, 80%. There's probably other factors too. But bracing is not helpful. Accepting, letting go, being, to me, is more powerful. It's like... I wouldn't say my buddy, but a acquaintance, friend of mine, Chad Wright likes to say, Nuff said. Nuff said means something deep there. And what he's saying is when you're on the other side of it and you have done it, you get to talk. You get to have a conversation with him on his level. And it took me a while from meeting him the first few times to understanding, no, well, I should correct that, not understanding, but to have a better understanding of him to, under, to, to realize that. This timeline, past versus present versus future of actually having done the thing, um, just to make it tangible as an example, I was out at track practice yesterday and it was my first track session in like four months. So just completely rusty. And I remember just making comments to the pack that I'm running with, kind of like an idiot, like, oh man, this is going to be brutal. And they're, you could just tell they're all just like, we don't want to hear it, dude. Yeah, because you're bracing. You're bracing for the suck. You're tensing. You're tensing. That's you're right. bracing for it. You're tensing. You're creating narrative. You're making it harder, actually, than it needs to be. What's better, to not be afraid or to know that you can handle being afraid? I love that quote, right? It ties into something else I want to say, but you can avoid difficulty and discomfort or you can learn who you are in difficulty and discomfort. What's better? 
embracing is not going to open up the channels and awareness and acceptance and non-judgment as well as embracing get ready for the suck just do the suck like it's gonna suck like no who cares it's doing don't put an adjective around it it's doing it's not about what you do cold water difficult track workout hill repeats you know whatever workout you want crossfit it's who you become we go uh, i see right and so and how do you know who do you become on the other side of it we can't avoid the suck i guess this is another way of putting it there's suck all around us and preparing ourselves mentally and physically for the suck is not helpful and now this my people might go what the hell are you talking about chris <laughs> all we do in training is is preparing ourselves for the difficulty of race day i'm talking about the suck discomfort doing hard things that we need to go into with an open mind without judgment without opinion, without preconceived notions, without bracing, and instead just doing. Let it happen. And then let bubble up what you feel, how it was. There's nothing worse than... <laughs> what is it? The stoic quote, it goes, um, but the fear about of what is about to happen is 10 times worse than what actually will happen. Like you're, you're making it more difficult than it needs to be. It's not suck. It is what it is. We suffer, we suffer more in imagination than in reality. Yes. Than what it actually is, yes. That's, you know, and, and this is one of those examples in my opinion again all this is my opinion um but that's where chad and i for example differ his big thing is don't give pain a voice and my thing is yeah that's a that's a slippery slope buddy you young strong capable um powerful mind powerful soul powerful spirit um, physically, mentally, spiritually, let's just say it that way. Um, to s not give pain a voice is different than, you know, injuries, fragility, um, not as strong of a mind, not as experienced in difficulty as you are. Um, uh, that's a different twist than embrace the suck. Is that, does that make sense? That, because, Giving pain a voice is, in my actually, in my opinion, is actually important because a voice is a signal, and if we uh, repress it, it will only come through the cracks at other times. And yeah, but that's reaction versus response, right? That's acknowledging versus 
freaking out because of yeah no no incorrectly especially in a phys- physical format and um uh, oh i was thinking psychologically w- not, not physically. giving oh no i'm talking about physically okay giving pain a voice um is big in my opinion on this entire thing that I talk about what a voice is fine. We don't have to respond like you just said and react to that voice, but we should use it as an input and make informed decisions from it. Not giving it a voice at all, ignoring it, suppressing it, drowning it out. Not sure that's the best course of action. I completely agree. Email along the lines of the things we've been talking about these last few podcasts with regards to some thoughts, who I want to be, and the deeper questions around that. I'm not going to go into all the nuance of this email. Comparison and acceptance of who I am is a funny thing. Outside of my athletic self, I'm very happy with who I am. I question that. Work is good and family is very good. Even my drinking didn't affect this as I still functioned as I needed to be on a higher level. However, I would argue with myself that the example I was setting was shit. Yes, I was outwardly relaxed and easygoing, but what lessons is that to my kids? It's quite clear to me that the lack of continued commitment will manifest itself in my kids if I don't deal with it, if I have to get the three legs of the stool level. I'm jumping around a bit as I write this. Why did I read this paragraph? It brings us back to one, the three-legged stool, not focusing on balance, but it needs to be attended to. And who we are in one thing is how we are in everything as personas, as identities. And so for somebody to say, outside of my athletic self, I'm very happy with who I am, is painting a picture that is not tied actions to words. That integrity of the three-legged stool is not possible if one leg is unhappy and the other two are supposedly happy. That's not a question of the length of the stool. That's how brittle the legs of the stool are as a stool, as something to stand on from a foundation perspective. And I would challenge you anyone I'm working with, to take a closer look at that. That will manifest itself into something in your day-to-day. And what are you avoiding with the drinking that you're happy or unhappy with? And so that's all intertwined. It's a paragraph. I can't dissect it too much and more than that, but it just caught me with alarm bells of, This is out of tune. These are words in an email written out, but they don't align with the actions that even the words are saying. (laughs) That's where the subconscious, the adaptive unconscious comes into play. Is the acceptance of who we are a primal thing? This is oh, these this email is in response to some of the prompts and questions I gave them, and acceptance was one of them. How do I improve if I accept who I am? 
Great question. This is an old email, by the way. It's been sitting with me for a while because I wanted to make sure I answered it properly. In my work, life acceptance is a lot easier in this work life because I find the work easy and therefore moving forward just happens. Bingo. A lot in there. That's back to what we were saying a few podcasts ago of, well, if work is easy, is it challenging you properly? Are you truly growing or are you going through the motions? Therefore, can it be compared to where you're growing and who you want to be? Is who you want to be in your work life, work is easy and therefore moving forward just happens? I challenge you on how boring that is, living life at a five or a six. Whereas give me the challenge of a nine or a 10 or an eight or a nine. While I might fail and crash to a two or a three, at least I'm operating at my highest potential, not even highest, at a high potential. Question number two in this email. If we don't compare why do we compete? Love that. It's a good question. I'm sure you've been asked this 1,000 times, but I struggle to see how the two aren't intertwined. If we don't compare, why do we compete? Well, those are very different angles to come from. Comparing is okay if to ourselves and to our past self, not to our future self. That's very important. Comparison and progress from our past self on the path to our future self is okay. It shows us where we have come from and validates the path we are on. That's what comparison is good for. Competition is what we define it to be. We would all <laughs> be pretty disappointed in competition if we're racing every event against Meb Kaflisi or Jim Walmsley. Then competition would disappear quite quickly because we would just be sitting in our own head the entire time. Competition is something we define. We've heard this plenty. Well, top 10% of my age group. Well, people over 50 with four kids in the construction business. I won that division. Like it, You can define it however you want to. So what are we truly competing against? I can throw a zillion different qualifiers in there. I can only throw two or three qualifiers in there, my age, my sex right? Or I can throw no qualifiers in there, me against the world. So take competition out of this because it only validates, justifies, rationalizes. We know what that is. That on why we're doing what we're doing, if that's why we're doing it. That's the dangerous game here of this defining competition as masters athletes. When we're younger and how we're primed and how we culturally grow up, we're comparing to all. We're moving on up the hierarchy of competing so that we eventually get to a place that we're competing with no qualifiers, with no conditions. But there comes a point when those conditions come back into play because we no longer compete in an open space 
and we throw in my age group, my sex, age group 40 to 45. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, what it get, you can narrow it down more and more. You get the point. So that's why if we don't compare, why do we compete? We compete in order to see how we're progressing down the road towards the desired outcome to where we want to be, to who we want to be. And we, why, if we don't compare, compare is only to ourselves. It's futile to compare outside of ourselves. No two people are the same from a background, from a training, from a talent, from skills, and again, from qualifiers. What do you think, David? Does that then mean that other people in your event are a distraction or just irrelevant depending on your your personal attitude? I like that, that you made that my personal attitude because it is my personal attitude. It's good. Other people in the event are there to drive me forward with temporary motivation, focus, drive in order to continue to progress forward against my past self. I see. So it's fun and it's, it's for sure. short-term interesting, but when I'm at my next race and I see somebody in front of me, my primary, where do I put my focus? And I, I assume the answer is, oh, that's fun. They're up there, but I still primarily will focus on how well can I execute today? How well can I make my footfall or my position, my yeah, feeling, my hydration? It doesn't need to be that exact, but let me go through an exercise with you. And from a trail running perspective, I'll use that one versus a triathlon perspective. But for triathletes, I can do the same. Let's say you're running with somebody and you can't really recognize them. In triathlon, they have oftentimes they have a number range and you know what age group that is. So let's mm -hmm. say the 200s is 30 to 34 and the 400s is 40 to 45 and, and so forth, right? The 1300 to 1700 is the men's 45 to 40. So you just know. It used to be that they put their age on the calf and, you know, put that, wrote, wrote that on there. And so you could right away see. But let's just say in your case, you're running and you're feeling really good and you see somebody in front of you running real good form, looks pretty strong and solid. And you're like, you know, you're on the last five and you guys are just, you're, you're keeping them ahead of you. You see them, but you're not closing him. But ever so gently, you're like, all right, I'm going to stay focused on this person, really do it. And, you know, they got a hat on and they're doing great. And, but you can't clearly see it. And then you finally get like 1K from the finish and you really sprint it down and you pass this person in the shoot. And you look back over your shoulder and you see it's a 55-year-old woman wearing a hat and had short hair, but that's just really fit. Now, if that were a pro who is 35 and you know their results and they've won two or three races and they're at the top and you've just beat them, you feel really good about yourself. But instead, it's a 55-year-old woman. She started, you know, whatever, an hour ahead of you, whatever it is, or even at the same time of you, and you're like, oh, what was the competition? You created it in your mind. You created your joy and, uh, and, and push and motivation 
against something that is completely just got invalidated. You thought it might be a pro. You thought it might, oh, that guy looks like he's, or, or that person, not even guy or girl, that person, oh, look at that form and they're running really well. And look at their gear. It must be sponsored. Now nah, I'm going to cash it. I'll find it. Boom. So same thing in triathlon. You know, great. You just caught that person. Then you look down and see on their calf that they're not even your age group, but even two age groupers over uh, above you. It happened to me a lot in my last years of a triathlon. I'd have people pass me on the bike because usually I'd be pretty far up on the swim. And then they see my age and then be disappointed because they're like 30 and I'm 50. <laughs> Well, do they turn to you and be like, oh, <laughs> there's definitely some. They're like, what age group are you? And I'd be like 45, 49. And they're like, ugh, you started five minutes ahead of me? I'm like, yeah. And, and like they're completely, their body language completely changes. Like that is not, so that's why we misunderstand competition. It's only something we've created in our head. Oh, I'm so glad trails don't have this problem. <laughs> I, I really don't think they do, um, relatively speaking. But, okay, let's say you take that approach, but most take the approach, well, how did I do in the top 10% of my age group? Great. What does that mean? Yeah. Who showed up? Who was there? What time of year was it? What does it matter? Great. I was top 10% of my age. I had a guy in the pool a couple years ago, and he was he swam, he jumped in my lane, and I know this is going to come across really cocky, but listen, I'm a swimmer. I know what I'm doing. And I get to be cocky in swimming. And I worked hard for it, so I will be. Um, I made a lot of sacrifices for it. I like all the qualifiers I'm putting on it while I was, while I was an ass. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, like, you know, uh, who doesn't understand this? Like, I, I get this from having done it in skiing. Uh, I mean, if you... Um, if you develop a competency that is so extreme that for the rest of your life, you have x-ray goggles on anytime someone's near water because you can see everything that no one else can see. Like, yeah, that's just real life. I don't know. That doesn't need to be explained. That's okay. just true. That being said, this person jumped in my lane and was swimming. And I was like, I don't, you know, what, like, who are you and this and that? And he said, you know, oh, I'm a triathlete. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Um, well, let me give you some tips with regards to like the way you're pacing and swimming. Um, and he goes, no, 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 I'm, I'm good. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, if that's the case, can you please move out of this lane? Cause I'm going to do X interval and I don't think you're going to be able to hold it. And, you know, sorry. And he's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm good. I'll, I'll stay in the lane. I'm like, okay. Um, so we got, you know, a couple hundreds in and I'm lapping him. I was like, all right, so two things. One, if you don't mind, A, can you move over a lane or two? Because this is, you're impeding my workout. And B, if you're not going to swim the set right, it was a negative split set, then, I mean, you, you can might as well tread water. And that's better for your triathlon than the swimming thing that you're doing. I know, again, a little cocky. And he goes to me, he goes, I know what I'm doing. I just won my age group at the Vineman Triathlon. Not the half Vineman, which is actually a very co competitive race, but the Vineman Ironman distance and that nobody attends. 
It's not a qualifier for anything. It doesn't, it's at the same time as a lot of other races. Again, he based his identity, his validation of his success in the sport on a, on a race that is very lightly attended, not a lot of athletes there, not a lot of real indication of what the triathlon field is like. And therefore, you know, delayed his progress in a sport that he probably could be pretty good at if, you know, it is what it is. And that's just a way to underscore the point. Like you can create qualifiers on anything. If at a trail race that you got top 10 in a trail race that nobody showed up at, big deal. I already gave you a hard time on that last time. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I won a half marathon on my first thought. It was exactly <laughs> what you just said. It's like, oh, this wasn't a real race. <laughs> but, and someone congratulated me at track practice. My first response was like, yeah, no one showed up. <laughs> of course I won. But, but so. that's my point. So back to this question. If we don't compare, why do we compete? Well, we compete in order to fulfill objectives and goals along the path of where we're heading to validate we're on the right path, that what we're doing is progressing us forward, that we're growing to see direct inputs on how we're improving versus ourselves, to look backwards and see where we came from and acknowledge that and grow from that and uh, develop a deeper sense of confidence of who we are becoming. It's a great checkpoint to see this is where I want to be. How does this feel on this path and this checkpoint and this race and this result? Oh, it feels good. It feels good for me, not because I beat somebody who's another construction worker with four kids and a male over 50. Like I don't need to qualify it like that. It just feels good. And so therefore, that's why we compete, to compare against ourselves and to validate the work that we're doing. It feels good. Yeah, it does feel good. I, but that seems okay, though, right? I, hold on, hear me out. Because um, you know I have this whole complex around being, you know, like I just weighed myself the other day. It was 220 pounds. And you know, I still have abs. So like this is, I'm just a preposterously heavy person. And um, still so have, in my head. Did you just say I still have abs? <laughs> yeah, it's just true. You can, it's just a thing. You can paint right those there. on. And um well, it's like, I can't, like, how much can I lose, right? Like, fat's easy to lose, but, you know, like, what am I going to lose? And um, actually, what you uh, lose first is muscle. You both, you know better. I, I do know that. And that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> but it is really fun to not compete against string beans who, they weigh 70 pounds less than me. Of course, they're going to kick my ass. And then, but, you know, to look around and be like, I don't, I don't see anyone remotely my size around here. Uh, well, that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm doing something most people my size can't do. Oh, it's fun. It's they, just fun. There is something very primal about that, and it should be. You're totally right. It's correct. The feelings that we have are undeniable. I'm not saying you can change your feelings. They, emotions are what they are. They're not good or bad. They are emotions. If you had control over your emotions, this would be a wholly, wholly, totally different podcast, life, everything, experience on this planet. Emotions come up, it makes us feel good. But it's a question of why do I compete? This isn't a question of what do I feel like when I compete? 
I'm saying this is a question of why do I compete and what am I looking for in that competition? Feeling good is part of that. Look what you just said too. Validating that my training is working because me as a bigger guy could still keep up with the string beans. I am on the right path. That feels good as well. For sure. So yeah, I see the nuance that you're getting into. It's it's very different. Yes. The validation comes from the me versus me and past me versus present me and just using these other outside things as a mirror. Because if I'm getting passed by grandma, maybe I could probably do better. That as well as if I am doing it for the outcome of the Strava thumbs up or whatever the F those things are, um, that's a different, that's comparison in order to achieve validation outcome like without what I am doing in comparison to my past self. And that's an extreme, so much nuance. That's an extreme example, but you should question, not you, David, but one should question, why am I doing this? Which brings me to me. (laughs) I, part of my 2022 intentions is to return to competition, to events. I clearly said events in my journal. It feels good to race with others, to push ourselves, to feed off that energy that's happening, that we're all out there giving our best or or care about the outcome. Why do we care about the outcome? Because we care about doing, about validating the work we've put in, seeing the fruits of our labor, things like that. That feels good. And sharing that and working with each other slash against each other, like we just said, that passing somebody and, you know, feeling that um, momentary surge and dopamine hit, that's all absolutely very primal and part of this. And that feels good. That is why I compete. And we've talked on this podcast a few times about, well, Chris, it's easy for you to say at this point of your life, there was a point in time where all you did was care about competition and winning Ironman World Championships. For sure. I would be a hypocrite, hypocrite, hypocrite if I didn't acknowledge that. What was my thinking then? My thinking was exactly that, competition. Rip somebody's heart out, swimming. Swimming, I was never that good. And I I know you, you might roll your eyes or laugh. I wasn't that good. I was never in a position that I could control. I was never good enough to control. I was good enough to compete and see how it shakes out, but I couldn't zero in on, I am going to beat these three or four people and therefore get the result I want. I was not that good. I was at that level, only the best can truly do that. You know that from ski racing too, or any type of racing. When At a certain level, you just, I, I just not hope for the best, but do my best. And with that knowledge, feel good about the outcome, wherever the chips may fall. That's swimming. In triathlon, this was the problem, is that I knew I could win. I knew, and I know this is a dangerous word, I should win. I also knew I would win. And that knowledge 
made it competitive for me when I wasn't winning. Of course, it was due to my own mistakes or something I did or didn't attend to, but I got competitive and used competition, beating others, um, not anger, but um, uh, that so that negative force of drive um, where you truly want to beat somebody, not because of the competition, but because they are in your way of what you're trying to achieve. Um, they are merely an obstacle, not um, a, a tool to help uh, project you or accelerate you forward. They are, they are not a catalyst. They are an obstacle, if that makes sense, that, that differentiation. And so that then became a different type of competition. But I think that still addresses why do we compete if we're not comparing, right? I didn't think that, well, okay, this is, it's going to sound wrong however I say it. I didn't think I was better than my competition. I knew I was. And so along the path of what I wanted to achieve to validate the path that I've been on for oh so many times at in Kona, getting second, getting third, getting second, getting fourth, getting second, getting sixth, getting eighth, get, you know, on that path of achieving the outcome that I had desired for myself first, I needed that to remind me to work intentionally, work focused, and get past them. It was never a name. It was never a person. I need to be that person. No, that, that doesn't serve a purpose. It is about the competition, keeping me from what I want to, what I will achieve. And it is about the competition reminding me that I should be better than them because I know I am. And so competition validated that I am on the right path to winning because competition is the only place I could show and fulfill the objective. Am I talking in contradiction of what I said with regards to comparing to ourselves? Well, if you were to go back, mm -hmm. okay, let's say that we were to take your current brain and put it in Miguel Maddox's body. <laughs> and let's fast forward Miguel a couple of years so My that buddy. he, yeah, right? Like a young triathlete up and coming, mm -hmm. um, doing really interesting things. Would you approach those exact same race scenarios with that exact same level of fitness relative to the other people? Would you have a different mindset a second time around or would you do the exact same thing again, knowing what you know now? Okay, let's go through that exercise. That's a good one. Thank you for that. As I discuss with Miguel, <laughs> using the competition, he is capable of winning the 70.3 World Championships. That's not a question. So going from that, we use 
the athletes and the arena to do what he is capable of. Is that, I think that, that, that alone, that sentence alone answers Mm it. Yeah. They are merely there as actors to validate what he is capable of. In order to validate what he is capable of, he needs them there. Otherwise, it's not a world championships. <laughs> Otherwise, it's a training day. It's, it's a marked course. I mean, it's such a clear and clean and beautiful answer and what a wonderful position that he gets to be in. But let's say that the following year, he goes full distance. Mm-hmm. And now he's absolutely not the top dog. Mm-hmm. Does that change the answer? No. He needs to change the the parameters of comparison. As I would say to him, once, and he probably will move up to Ironman someday, first, continue to grow and progress forward, you versus you. And at some point, that you will be in a place, hopefully, where you then begin to think, how do I win this? Chris McCormick went through, Macko went through the same thing. Coming in thinking he could win, and it took him six tries. Takes most, many tries. And so... It's a beautiful answer. I don't know that it really needs any explanation beyond yeah. that. You show up and I'm not going to word it as well as you did. So I'm going to butcher it, but I get the feeling, right? Which is this is an opportunity to yeah. enable you to bring your best self forward and all these blocks of the event production and the comp- the competitors are there to enable you to have your best day. Yes. Your best day. Yes. And I guess that's how I would say with my triathlon career, and we've said this on the podcast, I knew my best day was still out there. Yeah, you could have a little bracelet, like one of those little Livestrong bracelets that says, uh, have your best day. <laughs> yeah, but see that again, there's, there's nuance in that. I had my best day in Kona and I got third. <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty funny. Everyone beat the record. <laughs> we all broke the world record. So that's like great. <laughs> and, but regarding the competition, how we all showed up that year, that day, that's what it's about. Not your best best day, what I'm capable of. So could I have broken down that third place that year and been like best possible day? No, of course not. Because there was still, I could have found those five minutes for sure. And that is the game at that level. Not saying that I'm always at that or always have been at that level, but at that level, at that world-class elite level, merely the arena to display my abilities and what I'm capable of. From LeBron James to Michael Phelps to Rafa Nadal. You are all merely here 
so that I have somebody to go against to show what I'm capable of. What I'm wondering is in in ultra, in trail, mm-hmm. where you don't have a set course. And well, I guess even in your world, wind conditions can just completely change the bike splits mm-hmm. and currents. Yeah, I don't it's know. not a time. But it is merely the <laughs> yeah. arena. Okay. So it is actually very similar then because in ultra trail, I mean, year to year, you have mud, forget about it. You have yeah. rain. Uh Oh, like yeah. nothing is the same. That's what I loved about, you know, like, and I can go into zillion sports, but like formula one, the best part about some of these drivers is that you give them rain or you give them a track course or a city course. doesn't matter. They would win. Hmm. Versus yeah. somebody who would only win in dry, fast conditions or somebody who would only win in the rain. Well, which that's rare, only win in the rain because that's way harder. But like Schumacher, that guy was, that was insane how he did that. Yeah, God. Contact patch is contact patch. <laughs> and it's just, that's the mind. That's the mind. And his only comparison was for immortality. Tom Brady, apropos. Do you think he cared who he was playing? Well, okay, maybe once or twice playing against Bill Belichick himself. But he didn't care who. We were all merely there. Those teams were there in the way of another ring. Is there a situation where this doesn't extend all the way down to the beginner? Um, the fellow on the last podcast who you did a consult call with, he's going into his first ever marathon. All that mm-hmm. stuff is this is the exact same answer, right? Put a line in the sand and then start comparing. You can't compare to somebody you've never been. It's back to what we talked about early on. Be sure what it's like at the top of that ladder before you decide to move on. Ray Dalio, great sort of imagery around that. You climb the mountain. You now stand on top of the mountain. You can see a huge mountain range in front of you and then beyond it even more. There might be your North Star way back there. But do I want to be in the mountains? Do I want to climb another mountain to get there? Do I want to take the valleys to get there? Do I want to know what's on the other side of this mountain range? Until you're up there, you can't see. Until you cross the finish line of your first event, you can't see. How will you compare? Right? Again, you're putting qualifiers on something that doesn't yet exist. The nature of my question is really who should take this advice and apply it and who is not ready to take this advice yet and needs to go through that first step. How we do one thing is how we do everything. This isn't necessarily um, athletics. Am I comparing myself at work? Where am I trying to get to? How am I raising my kids? Am I comparing it to some sort of ideal out of a book? Or am I doing the best job I can? Am I doing my best? I grew up in a comparison family. My mom was constantly telling me oh, Jimmy does this and Mike does that. And this person got into that school and that person's grades and they're also a tennis player. And this person, you know, I mean, I've even told the story, I think on the podcast about how when I left for boarding school, my mom thought 
oh, you know what? This boarding school is way nicer. It's up in the mountains. It's beautiful, high atop the mountain Alps when we're looking at boarding schools. And I was like, mom, what are you talking about? This is the national ski team's boarding school, not the national swim team's. Oh, well, it's so much prettier, and you can just switch to being a swim, uh, a skier. It's way better, and you should do this anyway, and uh-huh. so did that. <laughs> I am not kidding you. Okay. I mean, not the national team, but we're elite, right? Like, you know, from academies. We're an elite. I did that. Right? <laughs> yeah, you and can't I'm like, do that. That's preposterous. <laughs> I mean, seriously? Oh, your mom sounds my like a sweetheart. Ent- <laughs> my entire life, I've been working on improving my swimming against myself and growing and, and, and becoming better. And now you just, oh, because Jimmy went there and it looks good when you talk about it at cocktail parties? F that. But that's sort of how I grew up in comparison. And so my judgment of myself used to be very powerful. Very negative. But it's part of how I protected myself. When you judge yourself harshly, critically, negatively, the hurt of the outside world is never as bad as your own hurt. I was insulated. I was protected because my inner critic was way harsher than what anybody else could give me. Emotions are emotions, but they're there to serve a purpose. Well, I hope you enjoyed that discussion. I sort of caught David off guard a little bit today by not giving him any of the topics as you heard and just wanting to get his response. It would be easy to or cliche to close out this podcast with the typical, please leave a review on iTunes and how that helps us. I think it's more important that we get feedback from you on what you would like to hear more about or what you enjoyed about the podcast. Instead, I'd rather close it out with some meaningful thoughts. What we do on this podcast, what I'm trying to get across deeply is to realize who we truly are, to live that to feel it, to be in that harmony. Might not happen often, but every now and then. I believe daily endurance exercise allows for that, allows us to hear that harmony ever so gently and eventually harness that harmony because it resets our system, puts us back into our animal primal setting, aerobic activity that is and fires the proper senses to allow the higher consciousness to open its gates ever so gently and to put aside the small-minded, ego-driven daily operating system, that daily operating system that is not reflective, thoughtful, creative, has space, growth-minded, alive, connected. I have a strong belief that exercise, longer endurance training, opens our minds and gives us an opportunity to think, reflect, plan, listen to our higher unconscious self. Allows us to unravel the huge knot that the daily grind creates for us, the tangled web in our mind, in order to come to better, clearer, smarter conclusions in determining our true potential. 
who we truly want to be. I'll close with a quote from a German writer, Hermann Hesse. Within you, there is a stillness and a sanctuary to which you can retreat at any time and be yourself.